Hi everyone and welcome to the Student Lawyer podcast series. Whether you're at school, sixth form, university, thinking about studying law or exploring law careers, you're in the right place. We are the one-stop shop for student lawyers. Okay, so welcome to the Student Lawyers Podcast. My name is Camilla and I'm a law graduate currently applying for training contracts. Today I'm joined by Aksa Hussain, a second sixth pupil who is completing a criminal pupillage, also specialising in public law at number five Barristers Chambers. AXA is also the co-founder of Human Rights Pulse, a platform dedicated to raising awareness about human rights issues around the world. So thank you so much for joining us, AXA, and welcome to The Student Lawyer. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And actually, this is a really exciting episode because we haven't had any barristers on the podcast before. Ooh. So you are the first one. So yeah, thank you. I feel very honoured. Thanks for having me, Camilla. <laughs> Brilliant. So, I mean, I've got a, quite a few questions for you today, so let's get straight into it. Um, but I, so I noticed that you're a non-law student. And so can you tell our listeners a little bit about your educational history and how you came to the realisation that you wanted a career as a criminal barrister? Uh, absolutely. So um, when I was thinking about how I got to this a place where I am and obviously a period um, like the coronavirus period um, yeah. makes you do a lot of reflection. Um, I was thinking about it and I thought in secondary school and, and right up till the end of secondary school, I was very much um, a STEM student. So focusing on the sciences, you know, that's what I did for my A-levels. Yeah. That's that, that was always the focus. And, um, you know, I anticipated going to uh, university to do biochemistry. That's what I really wanted to do. Uh, but then I had a gap year and as cliche as it sounds, this gap year <laughs> opened up my eyes to the world of the social sciences. And I learned right. about things like human rights. And I remember the first time somebody told me about feminism, my mind was blown. And, you know, <laughs> all these things that I was never exposed to. And suddenly during my gap year, I, I learned so much. So Eventually, I started university, and albeit I started as a biochemistry student, I very quickly uh, changed track, um, much to the dismay of my parents, uh, and ended up in philosophy and political science. Um, I really wanted to, uh, I realized that I wanted to enter into the world of international development at that point. Right. So a lot of my undergrad was um, learning about how the world worked around me, um, you know, things, again, that I'd never really been exposed to in that, in that sort of academic setting. Yeah, that's, that's it, isn't it? We, when you're at school studying, say, science, maths and English, you don't necessarily know that there's anything else out there. So Absolutely, yeah. And I went to a school that, you know, was very much like study what you need to study, but there wasn't so much, uh, there, there wasn't that much room for right. extra, you know, um, just exploring beyond what your core subjects were. Yeah, um, sure. But, you know, my undergrad was great for opening my eyes up to that. Um, and then I did a master's in which, uh, you know, I delved a bit deeper into the world of international development. But after this master's, I was very quickly disillusioned with the world of international development, as, um, you know, many people do become if you study something quite intensely. Yeah. Uh, and I hated the idea of corruption, just impeding, you know, d development efforts. So... I essentially came into the law very naively uh, with this idea, you know what, 
I'm going to fight the bad guys. I'm going to end corruption. And that way, international (laughs) development is going to be so much easier. Um, So, you know, it's quite funny that now a large part of my job is going to be to defend these um, so-called bad guys. But then again, you know, are they really bad until... Uh, they're proven guilty, so to speak. But exactly. you know, it was a circuitous journey, um, but it's it's been quite great. And you know, over time, I've over the last couple of years, at least, I've really learned about the law um, more. So it it was never it was never my life calling, so to speak. I, d- I don't think you know I, I I wasn't five years old hoping to be a lawyer, um, yeah. but it has you know it's where I ended up, and I and I love it. I wouldn't ask for you know anything else. Fantastic. That's such an interesting um, like journey to, yeah, of starting off in, in sort of sciences. And then I, I think it's, it's happening more and more, really. Um, STEM students are coming over to, to the legal side. So, yes, that's really interesting. Um, so what made you decide to pursue the barrister route rather than uh, deciding to become a solicitor? And do you have any advice for our listeners who might be unsure at the moment which path they want to pursue so I think one of the biggest things for me was knowing what both of those uh roles entailed um and 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 the basic distinction is as as far as I'm concerned and you know don't quote me on it I'm still a second six pupil might have got it all wrong uh but a solicitor does all the legal work outside of court and a barrister is, you know, the, the sort of front of house advocacy in the courtroom, so to speak. Sure. Yeah. Um, and uh, I liked, you know, some uh, a careers advisor once put it to me as a solicitor is like a GP and a barrister is like a surgeon. So and if you think about the skills that those, you know, they need, you, it's trans, uh, translatable into this profession as well. And um, I do think more and more the distinction between the two uh, is becoming blurred because you are getting barristers who are taking on cases without solicitors um, through this thing called direct access. And you've okay. also got solicitors who are able to acquire higher rights to practice in the courts. But, you know, if you want to get the best training for the skills that you think you have and you want to develop, I think you you do need to figure it out beforehand, which, which route you want to take. Uh, but at the end of the day, if you do decide one way and then end up changing your mind it's not the be all end all um it is possible to to retrain or like you said well solicitors if they want to do some more advocacy they can maybe take the higher access route so absolutely um and and you know work experience is a great way to figure that out I knew the skills that I had and the things that I wanted to work on and develop that being at the bar was more uh, a more suitable um, profession for me and and so that's what I sort of went for but um yeah at the end of the day it's yeah like I said it's it's not the be all end all sure okay yeah and um, so what was your journey like to obtaining pupillage was it uh you know was did it take you long did you make a lot of applications what, what was it like for you um I did not make uh so I got it in my first year which okay, is brilliant. very lucky um but you know I also won't undermine the hard work that I did put in um because as soon as I decided after uh you know my master's actually I want to do the law I was like right that's it let's switch on figure out how I'm gonna you know end up in this profession that you know people have been wanting to get into for years and years and I've only just decided 
Um, so it was very much a, right, I'm, I'm going to um, work to get my application up to standard where at least I can get my foot through the door. Um, So I went about pursuing mini pupillages, mooting, pro bono, you name it, you know, all the sort of things that you you sort of need to do just to get your foot into the door. And then I thought, you know, my my past experiences will hopefully be able to carry me over the finish line. That, you know, miraculously did happen, which is great. I'm sure it's a credit to a lot of hard work on on your side. Um, Yeah, but there is an element of luck. And I, you know, people listening to this podcast, I hope they understand. You just never know who, you know, is going to be reading your application. You don't know, you know, what whether what sort of mood they're going to be and you don't know if they just take half the pile of applications that they have in front of them and throw them and then only start reading from the second pile you just don't know so there is this element of of luck attached to this you also don't know who is on your interview panel first round second rounds etc so just keep that in mind when you do get rejection and you know I applied to I think 27 chambers I checked the other day when somebody asked me in total and you know ended up with one offer so it it goes to show you just never know yeah I think it is really a numbers game at the end of the day isn't it the more applications you make as long as they're high quality hopefully um get to the point where one will stick so absolutely that's that's definitely uh, good and you only need one to say yes yes yeah absolutely so what do you think, do you have, say, five top tips for uh, those who are making applications at the moment, something that you would, um, yeah, you would advise people to maybe focus on um, to increase their chances of success? Oh, yes. Um, gosh, I should have really prepared a question like this beforehand. Um, okay, <laughs> let me think. One, uh, preparation. Okay. Um, so one. that's probably the biggest one. I would say know your chambers uh, or law firm okay. if, if you're going for the solicitor route. Know yeah. the sorts of questions that you're likely to be asked. Know, uh, know the sorts of examples you're going to use uh, to provide evidence about, you know, certain characteristics that you claim to have. So if you say okay. you're hardworking, don't just say it, prove it. Um, right. and, and, and know how to tie all of these things together. Um, that all comes from preparation. There is no way you can go into any application process just, you know, off the bat, yeah, let me give it a go and see what happens. No, you've really got to prepare. Um, so that's number one. I would say the second one to network. Okay. Um, I see it on LinkedIn so much, also on as they call it, legal Twitter. Um, you know, there really is so much interaction between aspiring lawyers and um, the profession itself. And, and I think that's amazing. And you don't see that in many other professions at all. So it really is this sort of magical thing we have in the legal profession. Use it, network, you know, make connections, find out, uh, get in touch with people who you think are doing interesting work, get in touch with people who you think can help you. Um, it's so important because at the end of the day, I think this profession is really, you know, it's, it's, it's sustained on human interaction. So, you know, use that. Um, I'd say make sure that, so thirdly, make sure that you have the bare minimum on your CV and or application. And by that, I mean, you know, if you are applying for pupillage, you need to have many pupillages. You need to have some mooting experience or debating to show your advocacy. You need to have some pro bono work or 
you know, legal experience that is reflective um, of the sort of work that you might be doing later or just legal work experience to gain knowledge about the profession. You can't apply without having the relevant, you know, basic things on the CV. So make sure that you have those. That's that's very good. Yeah, yeah. definitely get nail the basics. Exactly. Like yeah. To get your foot in the door. I think two more that I can think of. Um, interview prep so important um if you if you get to the stage of interviews um you know and I was lucky enough to have a few uh my first interview was horrendous gosh um I remember so I I was asked um in an interview and this is a massive faux pas it was the question was uh so if you had to defend a paedophile how would you feel and my answer was something like oh, I'd be really morally opposed to it because, you know, gosh, these, you know, especially if there's evidence and, oh, I don't know how I'd feel, but, you know, I guess I'd still do my job because they're a client. And obviously yeah. I did not get a second round there. And I went to this, no. you know, mock pupillage interview panel the next day, which would have been really useful if it was a day before. <laughs> and I asked them why, um, I had this question, you know, why did I not get the uh, the right, you know it seems as if they didn't respond very well to my answer and uh this panel was like yeah never say that your answer is always everyone deserves a fair trial and you know obviously I know that now being a criminal pupil because I look at every client very differently but you know before you enter this profession you very much are thinking gosh how am I going to defend the guilty how am I going to you know these sorts of questions that people also ask you how can you defend a murderer how can you defend a rapist Um, so Yeah. yeah interview prep is so important because you know how to avoid answering questions in a way that you know uh, your interview panel won't necessarily like yeah and then finally I'd say make a game plan for how you deal with rejection Uh, so there is going to be a lot of rejection like I said I had 26 no's before I had one yes Um, and it yeah it's it's just not nice but you need to know what to do if you get a rejection. So my thing was, as soon as I saw an email that said, unfortunately, or, you know, one of these words, yeah. I wouldn't even read on, I just delete it straight away. Really? That's, yeah. that's so powerful. And I, I love that. The fact yeah. that you just didn't even read it. And, you know, the majority of the time they don't put feedback on there. You've got to call up chambers and ask for feedback, et cetera. But I was just like, yep, don't want to read it. Okay. On, on to the next we go. I've still got a few to tick off the list. Um, you know, there, there's still hope. Um, but yeah. And then <laughs> let's you know, hope those eat. Yeah. I was say, let's hope those emails don't have any surprises in them further down. Gosh, I know. Imagine, <laughs> I, you know what? I could be sitting here with six more pupillage offers from 2018 and have no idea. But yeah, I'd, I, unlikely nobody's contacted me, sadly. Um, but yeah, that was just my way of dealing with it. And, you know, it, it is a process that makes you question yourself. Am I good enough? Uh, what You know, what's wrong with me? Why are these... Uh, chambers not taking um, a liking to my personality or liking to my application I've worked so hard so it is it is heartbreaking almost and and I'm sure lots of listeners will this will resonate with them but at the end of the day it is a numbers game like you said Camilla um, and you've just got to yeah keep going and remember it's not personal yeah absolutely it's hard to remember sometimes if you get like rejection after rejection but exactly it's a numbers game 
Okay, so do you think there's any way, I mean, you mentioned how important it is to prepare for the interview, have to, you know, have um, uh, have the bare minimum on your CV, so those mini pupillages, those advocacy uh, experiences and, and pro bono work, but if if everyone has that, then do you think there's any way that, so, that a listener can stand out from the crowd in, in a pupillage application? Absolutely. So, I mean, as I said, those things are the bare minimum to get your yeah. door. Um, and, uh, you know, I think unless you are somebody who went to Oxbridge and got a first and, you mm-hmm. know, has good connections, you know, ha- has been taught all the right things to say, etc. Um, and can just waltz into an interview and do incredibly, you really need right. all of that other stuff to, you know, get get your application through the door, so to speak. Right. You need to have a USP. You know, well, I'm sure all okay. your listeners are familiar with the idea of a USP. Um, you know, yeah. something that makes you special, something that the reader is going to look at and think, you know, wow, I really need to get this person in um, for an interview so I can ask them about this. Um, the only thing is make sure it's true because you never know who you're going to get on the interview panel. And if they're an expert in your, you know, said area of expertise, that's probably going to be problematic. So, you know, don't just say, you know, I'm, I'm fencing champion and blah, 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 because if they suddenly ask you what, I don't even know about fencing, what sword you use or something, uh, and you've got no idea, you know, that's, it's going to be problematic. So yeah, for me, I, uh, train martial arts I have been doing martial arts my whole life since the age of seven so that was my USP so to speak Um, and yeah I I really love talking about it and you know one of my interview panels said uh, they asked the question um, can you convince me in one minute why I should do martial arts Um, so that was fun another interview panel I I would say maybe four interviews asked me about my martial arts so you know it is definitely something they pick up on because they're bored of hearing the standard things why do you want to be a barrister why this area of law why this chamber so you know these interview panels they are people at the end of the day and they do want to ask you something that's um, you know a bit different (laughs) yeah definitely it keeps their day interesting as well exactly that's, oh, that's such a interest, like a fun story to to hear. About. <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, okay, so going back to uh, like requirements for uh, the basic requirements, really. Do you think that academics are something that that is you know really important? Do you think that someone with average grades can realistically increase their chances if they've got some um, excellent work experience on their CV? I mean the reality is that you do have to work that much harder to compensate for your average grades but absolutely I I, you know it would not be a fair profession and uh, you know arguably many say it isn't a fair profession but it would not be fair if people who you know might not have had all the opportunities and privileges which enable you to get good grades um, you know, besides hard work, there, there are right. some things that make it difficult for people to, to get good grades. And if, if they did not have those um, opportunities to, you know, fill their CV um, in a productive way with things that could make them an attractive candidate, it just would not be fair. Um, yeah, people say life's not fair. And I'm sure, you know, there's all this stuff about is the bar really diverse, etc. I still think it is. I think if you put in enough hard work, it speaks for itself. Um, and, you know, you can see the persistence and determination 
of candidates through their relevant work experience. Um, you know, if if I had, I, you know, not that I'm on any pupillage committee at all, but when I will mm-hmm. be, and you know, if they take me on further, that is, um, I am going to make sure that I I look at all of this work experience um, instead of just looking at the grades. I don't think grades are indicative of anything um, besides your ability to regurgitate exam you know exam revision stuff or whatever but it's it's not really indicative of how you can think how you can think outside the box your creativity your ability to work hard etc so I'm very much a a believer that it doesn't matter what your grades are especially your GCSE grades god you're 16 years old who cares what you got when you were 16 years old yeah Yeah, I'm also not naive that it's you know, it is an impediment for going forward if you don't have amazing grades. Right. So you might just have to work that little bit harder and maybe yeah. overcome a few more rejections, but keep yeah. going. Absolutely. I mean, it's not you might have to work harder. You'll definitely have to work harder because yeah. it is a competitive industry. Training contracts, pupillages, they are very competitive. That's why people are, you know, very impressed when you tell them I'm a lawyer because they're like, oh, wow, you know, you must have gone through a lot to get there. Um, and the reality is, you know, so many people have to deal with tons of rejection before they they get that yes. So, yeah, the the, the better your CV is, the better chances you have and you can get to that excellent CV standard if you are, you know, going out there, getting a work experience and, and just putting yourself out there, really. Fantastic. And so in terms of work experience, do you think there's like a minimum number of mini pupillages that people should be doing before they make applications? Or do you think, yeah, is there a minimum? Is there an ideal number? What's your opinion on that? Yeah, so I did six mini pupillages. I did three criminal ones and three non-criminal ones. So, gosh, one of them was a commercial one. And I think uh, this barrister gave me two, um, what are they called? Binders. Gosh, I haven't been. Right. Coronavirus is really uh, <laughs> turned the brain into mush. Uh, it gave me two huge ring binders and yeah. um, was like, yeah, there's a bond dispute. We've got a hearing at one o'clock. And this was 9am. He was like, yeah, just go through that and I'll come back and get you. And I was like, okay. Uh, and I kid you not, I fell asleep, you know, a oh, quarter no. of the way through the first bond dispute. And then he came at one o'clock and was like, yeah, it's cancelled. No worries. And I, and I thought, gosh, <laughs> this is not my area of law. So yeah, that one experience just, um, you know, ruled out commercial law for me. Yeah. Um, but in general, yeah. So I, I think the balance of having one's uh, mini pupillages or work experience in the area of practice you want to pursue as well as the area of practices that, you know, you're you're just exploring, but in an effort to say, I've done it and I know I don't want to do it. I know I want to do criminal law, which is what it was for me. Um, Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. So if if you're, you just need to make sure that you're doing the the right amount of pupillages so that you, many pupillages, so you've had a chance to experience different areas to know that you you are picking the right one and I suppose that's what interviewers are going to be looking for as well just to make exactly. sure that you've done, pro- 
you've done your homework that that does make sense yeah um, during all my interviews I was asked things like um you know why don't you want to be a solicitor or why yeah. don't you want to do family law if you're so interested in justice and people you know questions like that yeah. um so it's it's very much it's very important to know um the other side so to speak if definitely that makes sense. Um, yes. yeah and, and keep in mind that all these work experiences aren't a week long they can be a couple of days um so it's not like I had to take six weeks out of my life to to do them of course just just out of any interest did you do do you know the difference between um like an assessed mini pupillage and one that's not assessed do you think there's any benefit in prioritizing assessed ones or what's your opinion on that I think if you get an assessed mini pupillage, 100% go for it because it's sort yeah. of your gateway into getting a pupillage interview if you do well. Um, yeah, I didn't do any assessed pupillages. In fact, I only ended up doing um, assessed work well, after a second round interview. Then I was asked okay. to come in to do an assessed mini pupillage. Um, yeah, but you know, if you get them, 100% pr- prioritise them. Brilliant. Yeah. So um, advocacy and public speaking is a is a key skill for aspiring barristers. Um, is that something that you've always felt confident with and been good at? Or is, is that something that you've needed to work on? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I'm always somebody who comes across as being really confident. Gosh, right. people will tell you, God, oh my God, Axie, you exude confidence, blah, blah, blah. But my gosh, the moments leading up to my turn to speak, whether that's on a podium or in class, my cheeks go red, my heart beats, I've got wow. sweaty palms, you know, it's all okay as soon as I start speaking. But the moments before, it's it's the same. Every single situation I've ever been in, you know, even an interview, before the first words come out of my mouth, it's, you know, my, my body's in chaos mode. Um I'll tell you a funny story. When I was 18 years old, I, you know, some interesting circumstances and work experience led me to giving a presentation in front of 900 high school students. Wow. Um, and I kid you not, I peed my pants a little bit. Uh, it was, yeah, I, I, it was crazy. But as soon as the words started coming out of my mouth, it was, you know, great. And, and I love it. There's an adrenaline to it. You know, it's also what drew me to having to getting work experience in positions where advocacy is a key part of the job. Um, yeah, so I, I really love it. And you also asked sort of how to develop these skills. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I would say take all the opportunities that you can get. Um, so for students, you've got so many university societies, you've got classes where you can, you know, opt to give the presentations, you can seek work experience where you're required to make presentations about something. You know, there are ways to develop these skills and start small if you're nervous, but just do it. Like you've got nothing to lose. This isn't one of those American high school movies where, you know, everyone starts laughing at you and throwing paper and I don't know. So yeah, go for it. Do it. That's great advice. Um, do you, so do you have any like little pet talks that you give yourself to before going on or is that um, not something um, you really do? Yeah, I I mean, I'll tell you, but I hope this doesn't follow me forever <laughs> because I literally, I swear that this is, this is how I do it. 
before anything, I call my dad. Oh, <laughs> and, I said, nice. and, I, and I always say something along the lines of, Daddy, I can't do this. I really can't do this. <laughs> I hate this. Oh, my God. And he'll always say something like, get your shit together. You'll be fine. <laughs> You've done this a billion times. Go do it. And Aww. And that's, that's nice. really, uh, you know, even before a- any interview, any big speech yeah. I've done, any, you know, uh, yeah, anything. It's it's really that phone oh, call. So, um, so nice. yeah. That's nice. I've tried power poses and things in the, in the bathroom and I don't know if they help or not. So I'm going to keep going. But yeah, <laughs> that hey, we've all got to find our own way. Huh? <laughs> um, so I've talking about uh, like work experience I've, I've seen from your LinkedIn profile that you've completed some really interesting internships like a human rights law internship in New York and volunteering on the Grenfell Tower inquiry how did you come across these opportunities um, and what advice do you have for our listeners who are keen to get involved with similar projects yeah so I have had the you know fortunate um position of being able to get really cool internships and positions as you said uh you know I feel really grateful for them and and I would say just inquire and apply Mm -hmm. there is no you know there's no better way of doing this I certainly did have um didn't have any contacts in the legal profession okay when I came into this so you know I came in completely blank slate having no idea you know who to go to who to speak to and I I literally reached out to every single person I could think of to say hey do you know anyone or do you think about you know what what should I do etc so many closed doors um but I just you know, I just kept emailing. I just kept going to networking events. I just kept asking. Um, and you know, the worst you can get is a no or an, or no reply. That's the reality. So uh, yeah, it was very much a thing of putting myself out there. Yeah. hundred percent, put yourself out there, keep your eyes open for these opportunities. They didn't fall on my lap. You know, I went out there and I found them. Um, but you also need to be particular about them. So Although, you know, you mentioned you see my LinkedIn profile, yeah. it does show I've done lots of diverse things, but it doesn't mean that I'm, uh, you know, just floating around and can't really decide on what I want to do in life. Sure. All of my work experiences are reflective of the things that I wanted to learn more about at the time of applying for them. And I think, you know, in our youth, uh, you know, and I still consider myself a young one, um, it's all about gaining as much experience as you can in different you know industries environments um so yeah just go out there ask apply when i say go out there not physically now especially during <laughs> exactly. coronavirus but you know emails we home, all kids. have access <laughs> yeah if you're listening to this podcast you have access to emails you know get create yourself an email address that is not um silly <laughs> you know a silly email address and 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 go apply inquire do that and um yeah Brilliant. Um, so if anyone, I mean, like you said, coronavirus has kind of put a damper on everyone's plans at the moment. Um, so if you were perhaps, you know, in, on your summer holiday, um, well, not yet, but soon, um, and, you know, you were hit by the pandemic, do you think, what do you think you, you would do to kind of build up your work experience online? Do you, do you know of any opportunities or do you have any advice regarding that? Yeah, I mean, there is so much available online. I'd say there are lots of virtual workshops at the moment and webinars that are being offered. Yeah. Join those, get involved. Um, You know, same with online courses. You don't know what, uh, you know, I haven't done all of them at all. In fact, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I haven't had time to do 
many. I've only done very um, niche ones related to the fields I practice in. Okay. Um, besides that, you know, there is so much there and all of them refer to other resources that can help you learn um, more about whatever this webinar is about and, you know, use that opportunity. There are professionals offering incredible guidance in their areas of specialty. Use that. So that's one, virtual workshops, online workshops, etc. The second is reach out to people who are doing interesting work. Ask if you can help or ask if, you know, they can send you something interesting to read or, you know, ju- just reach out. Uh, you know, again, same with the work experience. The worst that can happen is they say no or they don't reply. Nobody's going to say stop pestering me. Um, if they do, they just um, have clearly forgotten what it was like to be in your position. Definitely. So yeah, reach out. And and thirdly, I definitely say try to volunteer um, or, you know, do pro bono work that doesn't require you to go out the house unless obviously you can help in that sure. capacity as an NHS volunteer or whatever. But there are so many um, helplines out there. So for children, um, you know, make sure that you can get involved um, in some way. And, you know, these charities need volunteers. Do that stuff. Um yeah find find your opportunities that's really brilliant advice i'm writing all these down because i'm going to go and do this after the call so thank you oh we did um (laughs) so just i mean before we kind of end i know that you've you've covered so much today um so thank you so much but do you think there's any last words of wisdom that you could maybe have told yourself before you killed pupillage you know what do you wish you could go back in time and tell yourself as it were Oh, yes. Oh, my God. So much. Um, It's all about the journey, not the destination. That's, you know, a huge cliche. um, And and it's so true. You know, all the work experience I got um, in my lead up to securing pupillage, it was so interesting. I met such incredible people and really, I, you know, I knew, yes, pupillage is the end game and I really want to secure this. But I cherished every single one of those relationships. And to this day, some people, you know, some of those people are still my mentors or I'm still doing some work with on the side, etc. Enjoy that journey. Don't just see every single opportunity as right. This is another tick yeah. um, off the CV tick box. Um, if that, that, is, that makes sense. Yeah, brilliant. Um, yeah. And I think um, the other one would be to, again, another cliche but so important if I think about it in hindsight, just be yourself, particularly during interviews. Um, you know, my first couple of interviews, I told you, I not only did I give terrible answers, um, but I went in and I was like, right, what do I think a barrister looks like, sits like, talks like? Uh, let me try to do that because, you know, I'm a girl from Wembley. I have not been you know, uh, raised or no, not that I've not been raised well, but I've not been raised to, you know, enter this profession. I've not been primed in a way that, you know, this is profession for me. Um, I, I really had to figure out, right. What aspects of my personality do I bring to the table? Um, and how can I make myself stand out in a way that's not discomforting for the interview panel, but also isn't just another familiar person or another acting in a way that I think is familiar for them 
Um, so yeah, really being myself and, and I would advise people to also be themselves is, is so important. I think that is so important. That was a bit yeah. wishy-washy. No, it's, it's really good. Sorry. No, it's honestly so important. I completely agree because I think the worst thing that you can do is try to be someone else and then maybe even get rejected because you weren't being yourself. So you're being maybe potentially rejected for someone that you want that isn't even you. Absolutely. So you might as well be rejected for being you rather than being someone else. I don't know if that makes sense. No, 100%, 100%. That's how these podcasts should end on some weird philosophical (laughs) note that nobody really gets, but is like, oh, thank God it's come to an end. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. So uh, just finally, uh, I mentioned at the beginning that you um, are the co-founder of Human Rights Pulse. Would you like to tell the listeners a little bit more about that and maybe if they wanted to get involved, um, how they can do that? Yeah, amazing. Thanks for letting me speak about it. Um, So, yeah, Human Rights Pulse is a project uh, that was born out of this idea uh, that human rights should be really accessible. We should all know what's going on. We should know about the Rohingya crisis. We should know what female genital mutilation is. We should know, you know, what is going on um, with the, the um, the food crisis in Africa. We should all know about these things. Often the issue is that um, a lot of this discourse is very almost academic or, you know, very difficult to understand unless you're a practitioner in that field okay. um, and you understand the language. So my idea was, and, and this is through acquiring, again, my various work experiences, I came to, um, I essentially thought we need to create a sort of platform that allows everybody to, everybody who has something interesting and informed to say to contribute Um, And what it's turned into is a lot of aspiring lawyers or human rights practitioners, as well as experts, um, contributing articles about current affairs, legal updates, um, their opinions on issues. uh, And, you know, the core values of the website are democracy, human rights and sustainability. So as long as your um, commentary engages with those ideas, you know, you're very likely to be published. Um, we've got an editing process, you know, I've got an amazing social media team on board. We've also just started podcasts and they're all about, um, the idea is all about bringing these sort of unforgotten human rights issues uh, back to, you know, public domain, if that makes sense. I'd really encourage people who are interested in the area to get involved. Uh, this area of law, I assume you're all lawyers listening, uh, to get involved and to start writing Um, One of the ways that I didn't mention about how you can bolster your CV is writing about issues that you're really interested in and sort of creating an online portfolio of content that you can direct your interviewees to or, you know, the people looking at your application to. So, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd really recommend it or at least check it out. Listen to the first podcast that's coming out in a couple of weeks. Exciting. Um, yeah, yeah so and we'll uh, leave the link to Human Rights Pulse in the description box of the podcast. So hopefully anyone cheers. who wants to listen can, yeah, take a look. Oh, amazing. I appreciate that. That's okay. Um, yeah, so I think that's that's come to the end of the um of the episode so thank you so much Axel it's been really great chatting to you today um some of the advice that you've given has been just um yeah really insightful and inspiring and I had a lot of fun um discussing it so thank you so much likewise thanks so much for having me thank you no problem take care
For more student lawyer information, commercial awareness quizzes and interviews, head over to thestudentlawyer.com. If you're a student lawyer who is interested in becoming part of the team, email us at hello at studentlawyer.com. <laughs>